gulf that separated me from Christ my Lord. It was so vast the crossing I could never Where I was to his demand, it seemed so close. I cried, dear Lord, I cannot come to where you are. He came to me He came to me When I could not come To where he was He came to me That's why he died on Calvary when I could not go to where. to me when I was bound in chains of sin. He came to me when I possessed no hope within. Picked me up and drew me gently to his side. We're today in his sweet love.
I'm, I'm thinking that before this week's over, Ernie is going to go with them. He's wanting to every single night. He's that close, he said. Hey, this has been a good day. I hope it's been a great day for you, but it's been a really good day for me. I, uh, as of right now, my, my time here in this wonderful place uh, has been graced with the opportunity to have four members of the graduating class of 1975 Colmus Neal High School today see each other. I'm one of those, and Tim and I, Tim Brown and I, we graduated together. Where'd you go, Tim? There he is. We graduated together. We did graduate, didn't we? We did. And, uh, and, and then I saw a couple of more out and about today. So that's most of us, by the way. There weren't a lot of us, and a few of them have actually gone on to their eternal reward. So it's almost like we've been able to have a class reunion just one at a time. And it's been good to see friends of the years that we've spent time with and enjoyed experiences with through the years. And uh, it's just been, been really nice today to, to be able to kind of relax and move around through the community and visit with some people, and I've, I'm, I've just really enjoyed that a lot. Um, how many of you know what it means for someone to masquerade? You know what that means? To pretend as though you're something that maybe you're not? There's a story that was told. I don't, I don't know if you've ever found yourself in a place in your life where you were without work and needed a job, and it was hard to find a job. Sometimes whenever you get that way, you become desperate, you become frustrated, and you come to the place where you'll do almost anything to, to make some money, to make a living. And the story is told that this one guy got out of work, he lost his job, and he couldn't find any place to work. And so he said, I'm just going to walk around and I'm going to go everywhere that I need to go until I find somebody that will hire me to do something. And so of all things, he was walking along and he was passing the zoo. And there was a sign out in front of the zoo, and the sign said, now hiring. So he said, well, I don't know what they want, but I'm going to go in here and see. And so they went in there to see what was going on. And the, the zookeeper said, we are hiring. And he said, here's what we need. He said, our gorilla died, and we don't have enough money to purchase another gorilla. But we have this really fantastic gorilla suit. And so what we need is somebody that will put this gorilla suit on, and wear it for us and pretend to be a gorilla when the time comes for the show to happen. So the guy says, that is about the most humiliating job offer I've ever had in my life. But I'm broke, and I need money, and if I put this suit on, nobody will know who I am anyway. So he said, I'll take the job. So he does, and about 1 o'clock, the people start gathering for the show, and he comes out, and boy, he starts doing what he thinks the gorilla's going to do. And the people are excited, and they begin to clap. And he says, hey, this isn't so bad after all. And so the show's over, and the next show's going to start at 4 o'clock. And he says, boy, this time I'm really going to put it on. I'm going to do this to, to the best of my ability. And so he puts that suit back on, and he goes out. And there's a vine that's hanging there. And he says, I know what gorillas do. They swing on vines. So he grabs this vine, and he begins to swing out across this pit. And the vine breaks. And as the vine breaks, he realizes that he's been swinging across the lion's den. And so he falls right into the middle of the lion's den. And this lion standing there, this great big lion just looking at him with this hungry look on his face. And he's thinking, I'm in trouble, but maybe if I just lay here real quiet and still, he'll think that, that, I'm, that I'm not really real or maybe I'm dead or something. He won't mess with me. And so the lion's still looking at him. He begins to kind of come toward him slowly. And he thinks, I, I, I can't move, I can't get out of here. If I start trying to run, this line's going to pounce. I don't know what to do. And then he says, 
I probably should holler for help, but if I do, then everybody's going to know that I'm not really a gorilla and I'm going to lose my job. So I don't know what to do. And so the lion keeps coming closer and closer. And finally, the guy just gets so frightened and so scared that he begins to scream, help me, help me, help me. And, and, and so the, this lion suddenly just runs to him and he gets right up next to him. And the lion says, listen, if you don't shut up, we're both going to lose our jobs. <laughs> Both of them were pretending to be something that they were not. Now that, that brings home a point to us if we listen carefully. I think in the, the spiritual world, the world of Christianity, the world of faith, that there are a lot of people who put on these costumes and they begin to present themselves as though they really are people who have come to know what it means to live in a relationship with God. They come to believe that because they can say the words or, or give forth the look, that that's all that's necessary to cause them to become what in their hearts they know they're really not. See, these guys both knew. One knew he wasn't a gorilla. One knew he wasn't a lion. And many times people will say, I am a Christian. I'm a believer. When in their heart they know that they don't walk with God. And that's a tragedy. See, the, we use a word to describe the reality of living life apart from a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. That word is lost. That's, that's one word to describe it. Unfortunately, that word really doesn't capture the full essence of what living life apart from God really includes. So tonight, we want to not just take our evaluation of what that experience is like, but we want to see what the Word of God has to say about that. We want to see how Scripture describes someone who is living life absent a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. Now, at the same time, we then want to explore what God has done to keep us from having to live life that way. And as we learn this, two things can be a possibility for our response tonight. One thing is we can come to terms with a reality of our own hearts if we haven't accepted Christ, if we haven't been saved, if we haven't been redeemed by the Lord Jesus, and we can come to Christ tonight. And we can throw ourselves on His mercy and on His grace, and we, like many, many other people through the centuries of time, can experience the life that God brings to us through His Son. The second thing that can happen is that as those who may believe, we may learn tonight what it really meant when we were lost. And by learning what it really meant when we were lost, we can begin to really then appreciate the wonder of what it means to be saved by the miraculous and marvelous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to invite you to one of the chapters in the Bible that really epitomizes the essence of being lost and of being saved by the grace of God. It's Ephesians chapter 2. This is a familiar and a wonderful passage of Scripture. And I want, I want you to, to read along with me these verses tonight as we see what Scripture says about what God has done through His Son Jesus for those who trust Him and believe in Him. Beginning in verse 1, we'll read all the way through verse 10. Scripture says, And you He made alive. He's talking to those who've received Christ by faith. You He made alive. And then look at how He begins to describe how we were. Who were dead 
in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. So that's the description of life apart from Christ. But then look at what he says. But God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we're His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's pray together. Father, as we bow in Your presence just now, we confess the inability of ourselves to bring light to Your truth. Lord, we know that we need your Holy Spirit to bring illumination to our hearts and to our minds so that we can grasp the fullness of what your word teaches us. And tonight I pray that every one of us would, would simply say to you that we refuse tonight to be satisfied with our evaluation of ourselves, with what we think about ourselves, but that we're going to let the Word of God, the truth of God's Word, decide about us who we are and how we are and how we need to be. So, Father, I pray that Your Spirit would move in might and in power in this room tonight, that You would grip our hearts, grip our lives for Your honor and Your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to begin by reviewing with you what I would call the desperate condition of the unredeemed. That is the desperate condition of those who are lost without Christ, those who've never come into a relationship with God through His Son, the Lord Jesus. In verses 1, 2, and 3, he describes the true situation of a person who is apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. He begins by, by describing the reality. And in very blunt and very forceful and almost brutal, but very clear terminology, the Apostle Paul explains the real experience of those who've never come to the knowledge of the truth of who Jesus Christ is. Look at what he says. He says, you were dead. Now, I want to say this about those words. You don't have any trouble understanding what that means. Those words are as clear as anything Scripture could say. You were dead. We understand what that means. There, there's no, no curtain over these words. There's no hidden meaning in these words. He says, before Christ, if you've not come to Christ, the reality of your condition is the condition of spiritual death. You're dead in your sins. That's what he says. Dead is the word. And dead is about as desperate as it gets. You can't get much more desperate than dead. Before I drove up here on Saturday evening, I, that day, officiated two memorial services for people who had died in the past week. In our church, since the very first day of January this year, we have had 18 deaths in our church. I've been a part of almost every single one of those funeral services. 
And whenever we get to those funeral services, everybody there knows this truth, that that's the end of the road in this life for those people. They're dead. There's nothing that they can hope for, nothing they can hope in. And whenever we find ourselves in a relationship, absent a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ, Scripture uses that word to describe the desperation and the frustration of that experience and, and the inability of ourselves to, to bring life where death is present, it just doesn't exist. Not one of us has the ability to come into a place where death has visited and caused life to come there. We can't do it. And, and if that's true about us physically, it's also true about spiritual things. We can't generate spiritual life. Death is as desperate as it gets. Death is the most helpless and the most hopeless of all human situations. Death is frustrating. Death is futile, and Paul declares that the most basic problem for humanity is the absence, not the absence of harmony, not the absence of happiness, not the absence of wholeness. Man's basic trouble in his sinful condition is the absence of spiritual life. They're dead in their sin. That's what Paul says. You can't back away from that description. Now, the reason that we're dead is because of where we are. He says you're dead in sin. And, and there's two places to exist in this world, in this life. You can either be dead in your sin, or you can be alive in Christ. You can't be both. You're one or the other. You're, you're either in your sin, or you're in Christ. And he says, because of the position of those who are not in Christ, by the way, Christ is life, and if you're not in Christ, then you're in death. You're dead in your sin. You're positioned in death. And so the absolute fallenness of man is a reality that is described and defined by Scripture. This is where people are who have not come into a relationship with God through His Son, the Lord Jesus. Now, as he talks about that reality, he then moves forward to talk about the commitment of life that is on display by those who are living in that condition. Look at what he says in verse 2. He says this, that those who are dead in sin walk according to the course of this world. Okay, He's saying that there is a course, and you know what that is. It's a path. It's a, it's a way of the journey, the course that you take. And so he says the course that those who are in their sin walk is the course of this world. This world has a way. Scripture says there's a way that seems right unto man, but the end of it is death. And that's the way of the world. So he says you're walking according to the course of this world that is determined and decided and drawn up and laid out in front of you by the one that he calls the prince of the power of the air. Now let me tell you who that's not. That is not the God who created you. That is not the God who has presented you with the opportunity for wholeness and fullness in this life and for eternal life in glory with him forever. The prince of the power of the air is the enemy of the soul. It's, it's the evil one. It's the one who's designed and ordained the destruction of humanity from the beginning and has done everything that he can to cause you to hate the, the, the ways of God because he hates the God who sets those ways in front of you. And so he's trying his best to draw you to walk according to the course that he set. Scripture calls him the spirit who now works. There's a, a, a working that he's accomplishing in what he calls the sons of disobedience. Now look at what he says. Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves. He's saying there's not one person who has ever walked on this planet 
aside from the Son of God, the perfect sinless Son of God, the Lord Jesus, who is not at some point conducted ourselves according to the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of our flesh and of our mind. In other words, we've, we've followed our own way. We've departed from the path that He's established. And by nature, that has caused us to be children of wrath just as the others. Now, most of us don't like to visit the idea of the wrath of God very much. Can I tell you something tonight? Can I tell you something and be very honest with you? God is not mad at you. God, Scripture will tell us here, loves us with an everlasting love. But I want to tell you something. God is mad at sin. And God is mad at the author of sin. God is mad at the designer of sin. And those who choose to walk according to the course that He has set will find themselves fallen into the path of the wrath of God. That's the way it is because God in His nature cannot do anything except judge sin. That's the nature of God. That's His essence. That's who He is. He's wired up that way. And so if you choose that way, you're going to find yourself falling under the wrath of God. And he says, until you come out of that somehow, some way, you by nature are children of wrath just as the others. Now let me tell you what God's done for us. One of the wonderful things that God has done for us is He has redirected the wrath that should have been directed toward us because of our sin, toward His own Son, when He hung on that cross on our behalf, in our name, He hung on that cross, and God directed His wrath toward sin there so that He would not have to direct His wrath toward us. That's what God has done for us. So, we see these, these commitments of the unredeemed, the path that they walk, the person that they follow, the pull of their commitment, the pull of their lives is towards sin. And so he's describing here the condition and the position of those who Scripture describes as completely depraved, empty of anything good. Scripture says there is no one who does good, not even one. It says the heart of man is desperately wicked. That's who we are. Now, I want to tell you, if, if somebody asked me to evaluate myself, those are probably not the words I would choose. Because I like to think of myself as a pretty decent guy. And so what I have to do, and what I had to do at a point in my life, was to come to terms with the fact that what, how I evaluated myself and how I thought about myself was not really what mattered. See, I have a tendency, if I'm not careful, to make sin a lot less dangerous and a lot less damaging, and a lot less dirty than it really is. That's my nature. But what I need to do is to come to terms not with my assessment, but with God's assessment. I need to listen to what God has said about that and quit convincing myself that I'm okay, that I'm all right, that I'm a pretty good guy, that I don't need any of this because I'm not that bad. And I need to quit comparing myself to those that by a lot of, a lot of standards may seem to be a lot worse than I am, I mean, after all, I've never murdered anybody. I've never done anything that bad. I've, I'm, I don't do this and I don't do that. So compared to so-and-so, I'm pretty good. But see, that's not the standard. The standard is God. How am I compared to God? Compared to God, I'm rotten to the core. And, and, and I just have to come to terms with what God says about me to myself and, and accept that evaluation because He is the only one who's telling me the truth. Satan is the father of every lie and he, everything about him is dishonest and he is trying to keep us from understanding and accepting the truth so that he can own us in eternity. So, 
We see the brokenness of lostness, the brokenness of sinfulness. Have any of you ever been lost? I mean, like physically lost? That's a weird feeling, isn't it? To, to just suddenly snap to the fact that you don't know where you are. You know, whenever I lived down here years and years ago, I hunted all over, all over these woods, probably places. I, you know, that was back in the day when you could kind of do that and, and get away with it. Nobody cared. Uh, I guess they didn't they never said they did. Maybe they never knew I was there, but regardless. Uh, I, on, my, on one of my birthdays, my birthday is December the 6th, I had had a friend who had decided that, that they had a niece that I needed to take out to a movie or something, and so I thought that was a pretty good idea. So the, the niece lived down in the, the Golden Triangle area, so I went down there, and, and as I began to, to wait on her and to prepare to pick her up, I began to have a conversation with her dad. And I found out that her dad had dogs that were coon dogs. And so we began to have this really interesting conversation. And this is what he told me. He said, I have a dog out here. And this dog is, uh, is, is a, a purple ribbon bred blue tick coonhound. And he said, he's not trained. And he said, I'm getting to where I don't really want to go out there and do this anymore. And he said, if you want that dog, you can have him. I said, you mean like have him, have him? He said, you can have him. Just take him with you when you leave tonight. He said, boy, I was ready to get that little movie venture over with because I want to get that dog home. So I did. I loaded that dog up in the turtle hole of that car, and I drove that dog from the Golden Triangle up to my house at Rockford. And I began the next night taking that dog out into the woods. And so me and Bandit, we'd go out night after night after night. And back then, you could purchase these, these lights, and there's a belt pack and a big Q-beam, handheld Q-beam, and then there's a hard hat you could wear with a light on it. I bought all that stuff. The only thing is you had to have that battery charged up when you headed out into the woods. And so this particular, every night when I'd come in, I'd take that out and I'd put it in the carport there and I'd put it all on the charger because I went to work the next day and I'd go out in the woods that night. My mother didn't understand the some things about batteries being charged and so one day she needed something and she went out in the carport and she took that battery off of this block of wood I had it on. She set it right down on that concrete. Now if you know much about charging batteries, when you set a battery down on the concrete, it just sucks the charge out of it. And I didn't pay much attention. I was ready to go to the woods and... And so I, I get all my battery, and I head down uh, out of Rockland, back down toward, toward Rocky Springs, and I get down in there, and I park, and I head down toward the river. And I get about 45 minutes down into those woods, and I mean my light goes black. And there's not a star in the sky. There's not a moon anywhere. And if you've ever been down at the river bottom at midnight, it is dark. And so I started saying, you know, this isn't too cool. And, and I'm, I'm down in those woods, and, and, of course, you know what happens when you're down in the woods. All kinds of noises start going on. And, and I hear off to my left, I hear these, this, woo, woo, woo. And that's coyotes, you know, it's coyotes. And so then I hear off to my right, I hear that again. Then I hear it out in front of me, and I hear it behind me, by myself. And so I, ha I have a leash that I keep my dog on. I said, Bandit, come here. And so I call him up, and I put him on that leash. I want him pretty close to me. And I start trying to make my way out of those woods in pitch black darkness. And so I walk, and I walk, and I walk. And you have no landmarks because you can't see your hand in front of your face. And so I keep walking, and I keep walking, and I think, Man, I know I wasn't this far down in here. And so I, I keep walking. Now, finally, I just realized, look, I'm lost. I'm lost in the river bottom at midnight, and it's pitch black. And it's an eerie feeling. It's a kind of a scary feeling. And, and so I, I thought, I didn't know anything to do except just to keep walking. So I did. I kept walking, and I kept walking. And finally, I came to a fence. I said, hey, this is good. Fence got to go somewhere. So I started following that fence, and I followed that fence, 
I bet I followed it for a half an hour. And I thought, this fence has got to come to a, 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 a gate. It's got to come to a road. It's got to come to something. And so finally, after walking that fence for a long way, and, and you know, you don't walk fast when it's midnight and it's dark, I thought, I wonder what's on the other side of this fence. So I crossed the fence, and I walked about 10 feet, and I'd been walking parallel to the road <laughs> for a half an hour. <laughs> and I thought, well, I'm on the road. So I found my truck, and it was the most relieving feeling I had was whenever, whenever I came to that pickup truck, and I knew that I was okay. But I'm going to tell you something. Whenever I was lost, first I was frustrated. Then I was desperate. I want to tell you, whenever somebody realizes, the moment they realize that God's description of us is that we are caught in Satan's snare, we're in the darkness of the pit that he's trying to drag us into, and we begin to realize that we're lost without God, we're lost apart from his saving grace, it ought to stir us up, and we ought not to argue against that. We ought not to try to tell God, no, I'm not lost, I don't need you, I'm okay. We ought to own that and say, Lord, this is where I am. And I, I can't do anything about this myself. And so Paul explains the reality of lostness. Verse 4. As we look at verse 4, we begin to see that there's a remedy. We begin to see that there's something that is present to offer us help and hope. Look at what he says, those first two words, but God. I want to tell you something, those are wonderful words. What it says to us here is that there's this condition that has captured and captivated the heart of every human being. They're lost in their sin. They're, they're wayward. They're wandering against God. And he says, but God. In other words, there's an intervention that's in process here. God is willing to interject himself into that lostness. And he says, God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Now listen to me. Here's the deal. God is described here as one who is rich in mercy and great in love. That's God's approach toward us. That's God's heart toward us. I want you to understand, God is not mad at you. God loves you. God loves you with great love and tremendous mercy. He's not trying to, to make your life stale or dull or trying to beat you up. God is loving and kind and merciful. Now, that's not, that's not because it's something that he has to, to drum up inside of himself. See, if you were to start talking to me about mercy, and, and, and there's some reason that mercy needs to come out of me, I have to probably reach down inside myself because that's not my first tendency is to be merciful. I, I kind of like vengeance, okay? I kind of like I really don't. But, but if you think about yourself and you think about the way you are, when you start thinking about being merciful towards someone, that's not our most natural tendency. But see, this comes out of God because it is His nature. He doesn't have to manufacture it. He doesn't have to reach down and drum it up within Himself. The first response of God to the lostness of humanity is mercy. And, and, and with His love, He extends that mercy toward us. And look at what He says. Even when we were dead in trespasses, He has made us alive together in Christ. Out of His abundant mercy, out of His amazing grace, He's reached toward us. The operative power of God 
has reached into the death of our sinful condition. And what he says happens is something that no man can ever accomplish. He says he has reached into us even when we were dead and he has made us alive. Now listen to this. Here's the deal. If you have two choices in your spiritual journey and one of those choices is to choose to remain in spiritual death where all of us find ourselves or to experience life in Christ, what's the logical choice? Who would not want to be alive rather than dead? Yet many, many times people hear the truth of the gospel of the Lord Jesus and they brush it off as though it's some sort of a fairy tale or as though it doesn't really matter, as though not, not something's really necessary, not something that they should consider. Because after all, I'm a pretty good person, right? That's not how Scripture describes us. It says we're dead in trespasses and sin. It says that we are caught up in the, 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 the course of this world and we're walking according to the spirit of the, uh, that works in the sons of disobedience, the, the prince of the power there. That's who we are. But what he says here to us is this that God extends Himself in the midst of that. And for those who respond to Him in faith, that He will make life exist where death has, has thought it won the day. He says, even when we were dead in trespasses, God's made us alive together. And then He uses this beautiful word, by grace, He says, you've been saved. And, he, and, you've, and He's raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now let me, let me just unpack that word grace for you just for a minute. We think about that word grace and we sing about it, marvelous grace of our loving Lord, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. But do we really, really understand the fullness of what that word explains to us? Because when we think about grace, there, there have been a, a acronyms and acrostics and all kinds of things to try to explain it. I look at it like this. Years and years and years ago, whenever I was a small boy, my maternal grandmother and grandfather lived out in Florida. And every Christmas, they would send a box to our house. Now, whenever that box got there, we would open up that box, and, and it was Christmas time, and in that box, what we would do is we would find a lot of different gifts. And all these different gifts, had they were for different ones of us. They would all be different things. And, and, so, and so whenever we would look at that, we would always be looking in there to see what the different gifts were. I, I kind of look at grace like that. It's, it's a... It's, an, it's a word that entitles all of the various things that God has provided for us through His Son, the Lord Jesus. It's like opening this box that we know is full of gifts from God. And in there, what we find is forgiveness for our sins. What we find is mercy extended. What we find is God pronouncing us righteous in His sight, even though we've done nothing to accomplish that righteousness ourselves. What we find in there is justification. What we find in there is adoption as sons into the family of the living God. What we find there is a place that is prepared for us in eternity if we're willing to receive it. What we find there is the, the precious blood of Jesus shed for our sins and Him bearing our sins in His own body on the cross. What we find is that atoning work of God where forgiveness comes to us through the grace of God and the mercy of God extended through His wonderful Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, he says it's that grace that God extends. All these different things that are wrapped up in the person of the Lord Jesus. And through Jesus, he says, you can come to this place where you are raised up together and made to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Not just for this world, 
but also that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. Then he says, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. God extends this to us as a perfect and precious gift out of his amazing heart of love and mercy. Not because he has to, but because he wants to. Not because we deserve it, but because he loves us and cares for us and he wants us to share eternity with him forever. Life in Christ is is a wonderful experience. Death in sin is the most frightening experience that I can think of. Being dead in our sin is the most frightening thing that I could possibly think of. And I can think of a lot of frightening things. I told you that whenever I was younger and growing up around here, I hunted all over the place. And one day, whenever I was working down here at uh, Allison Chevrolet, uh, working in the parts department down there, me and a buddy decided that we were going to go hunting after I got off work and after he got off work. So we went out somewhere out east of town out here. And and, uh, as we were hunting along, he he went to one side of the field, I went to another side of the field. And and, uh, whenever the, the, the field itself was open and there was a clear cut where they were uh, had pushed over a lot of timber, and, and I was walking along that fence row, and just, just I mean, about like right here, there was a, there was a deer that, that walked up there, and I thought, you know what? That, that looks like dinner to me. And so I pulled my gun down, and, and, and I, I really didn't have the right shot for it, but I thought it's close enough I can probably kill that deer. So, so I started shooting, and I shot, and that deer took off running, and I heard it crashing around down the creek bottom. And so I climbed over the fence, and I took off running after it. And I, I got about four or five good steps wide open, and I jumped the log. And when I jumped that log, I froze. I thought that I was in the middle of a hailstorm on a tin roof. I jumped right in the middle of two rattlesnakes, and they were mating, and they were mad. They were striking at my feet. Fortunately, I'd reloaded my shotgun, and I mean, I started shooting all around my feet. And I finally killed both those snakes. But I'm going to tell you something. By the time that my buddy got over there, I was shaking so bad I couldn't hardly stand up. It terrified me. I dreamed snakes for weeks. I'd be asleep at night. And I'd wake up thinking one had a hold of my arm. Scared the fire out of me. But let me tell you something, and I want you to understand what I'm about to say. Whatever danger I was in when I was jumping in the middle of those two snakes is nothing compared to the danger of a soul that is lost apart from the grace and the saving mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't even begin to come close in comparison. And I want you to know that tonight, if you're here and you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, you've never come to God through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, you're in a very dangerous place. You're in a dangerous place and and, and someday soon, I promise you it'll happen for all of us. You'll walk out into eternity. You'll step out into eternity and you draw your final breath here. And you're going to give an account to God and and He's going to remind you that one night you sat in a church service and you heard the gospel. You heard the truth of who Jesus was. You had an opportunity to receive Him. You had an opportunity to make Him Lord of your life. And I pray that you'll be able to say on that night, I did that. If you're here tonight and you've already done that, what I want you to get a hold of and get a sense of it's what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. What He's delivered you from. How miraculous and marvelous and wonderful the grace of God really is. 
and, and to begin to live with that sense of higher purpose and higher calling toward Him and not toward this world and to yield yourself in surrender and service to Him and to let Him use you as you move through this earth to help other people know how wonderful it is to be saved by the grace of God. In just a moment, I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer. After I do that, we're going to sing together as we've done every time that we've been here. And I want you to understand that the time that we're singing is not just a way to close out this service. It's an opportunity. It's an opportunity for every one of us to think about where we are with the Lord, to be sure, to be sure that where we are is where we need to be. And, that, 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 and I'm talking to those who may not know Christ and those who do. We don't want to walk out of this room until we know that we're exactly where we need to be in our relationship with God. And if you're here tonight and you've not trusted Jesus, you've not been saved, I plead with you, I beg you, to open your heart to Christ. Listen to the voice of the Spirit as He draws you. And if you're here as a believer and you're trying to walk in two worlds, the, the world that's in front of you and the world that's above you, please understand you can't do that. You've got, to, you've got to choose to walk in one or the other. And please choose to walk in the world that God has for you, the way that He's appointed for you. We're here for a season, but we're here for a reason, and that reason is to glorify our God, our Lord. I'm going to ask you to bow with me as we pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I come to you tonight thanking you for your word that is open and honest with us about who we are, without you and about who we can be in you. And I pray tonight that if there's anybody here who, who has not come to the place in their life where they've said yes to Jesus, that right here, right now, tonight, they'll yield their heart to you, they'll surrender their heart to you and trust you to forgive their sins and to give them the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. The only life that's real life, they'll come to you. Father, I pray for believers in this room that, that, that might need to shore up their commitment to you and, and, and just yield themselves more completely and, and to allow themselves to be an instrument and a vessel to you as they walk through this world. Father, I pray for this community and I pray that the Spirit of God will penetrate beyond the walls, out into the streets, out into the dirt roads, out into the woods. And there'll just be a revival that, that moves beyond this place where people can, can be delivered and, and saved by the grace of God. People can be right with God that have wandered away from you. Father, that happens when the people of God get right. And so I'm asking you to move among us tonight in power and help us to not resist. In Jesus' name, amen.